Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast. We're your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, we explore a different perspective on or experience of depression because it varies in form and severity, affecting us differently. Our guests share intimate details of their struggles, coping strategies, and recovery. We keep it real because the struggle is real. We keep it hopeful because there is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We're not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and know that talking about the illness reduces stigma and humanizes the experience, making it safer and easier to ask for needed support. You are far from alone. Hi, Bridget. Hi, Terry, and welcome to season nine in review. About every two months or so, we do a little review of the most recent episodes, offering a little sample of each guest's story so you can determine which resonates with you and then listen to the full episode. It's also an opportunity for us all to slow down and to be reminded of the wisdom, experience, and hope that our guests offer us on a weekly basis. Mm, We're so grateful to them. These are often our most played episodes because they're an easy entry point for anyone still concerned that a podcast on depression might be depressing. (laughs) Today's review will be of the seven most recent episodes, all of which were sponsored by a Garrett Kelly Memorial Grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. We begin with episode number 97, 10 Reasons Teens Avoid Telling Their Parents About Suicidal Thoughts. This is a critically important episode for adults to hear because we may not even realize we're doing it, but even with the best of intentions, we may be doing behaviors that are shutting down versus opening up vital and potentially life-saving conversations with our children or other young people. Our guest is Dr. Stacy Friedenthal, author of Helping the Suicidal Person. And in the first of this two-part episode, we explore some of the reasons that teens give for shutting out their parents. We want to respond in a way that encourages more disclosure, not discourages it. And so if a teen tells their parent that they're thinking of suicide, which already is going to take a lot of um, you know, forethought for them to make that disclosure. And the parent responds with, but you're so young, you have so much to live for, or, you know, your, your problems are, aren't that big, you know, then the teen is likely to think, well, they don't get it. You know, why should I bother telling them more? Again, that full episode is number 97, 10 reasons teens avoid telling their parents about suicidal thoughts. We continue that discussion with suicide prevention expert, author, and trainer, Dr. Stacy Friedenthal, in episode number 98, Why Teens Don't Talk to Their Parents About Suicide, part two. That you've got some parents who say, oh, you know, they don't mean it, and they're just, you know, being dramatic, or they just want attention and, and don't get their child help. And again, I don't want to demonize parents. I think for many parents in this situation, it's just so overwhelming to think that their child wants to die, that denial is a defense mechanism. But it's a very dangerous denial, you know, because there, there are many parents who, who keep firearms in the house even when they know their child is depressed. 
That full episode is number 98. And again, we really encourage parents, aunts, uncles, teachers, coaches, and anyone else who's in a position to notice changes in a child, a teenager, or a college-age student's behavior to listen, to really listen to this episode in full and share it. And to the young people listening, please share this with the adults in your life so that they can better support you if and when you are struggling with these common, convincing, and very scary thoughts. So after those two episodes, we asked ourselves the question, if kids aren't talking to their parents about suicidal thoughts, who are they telling? And the answer very often is each other. Think about that. At a time in life when many kids are at least a bit overwhelmed themselves, a peer may share with them, in person or on social media, that they're planning on taking their life. And often that disclosure is followed by something like, don't tell anyone else. That is an impossible position to be in because telling might mean you lose a friend. And not telling may mean you and the rest of the world will lose your friend. Tell someone, by the way, you cannot imagine the pain your friend's family will suffer in addition to your own pain and likely guilt. So in episode 99, Keeping Students Mentally Healthy and Safe, we profile a successful Wisconsin joint school district that's committed to giving its students both the language and the permission to discuss mental health, to keep themselves and their friends healthy and safe. Here's Menasha Joint School District psychologist and mental health coordinator, Dr. Jennifer Shavina. So our ultimate goal is that students will graduate high school and become um, good citizens. You know, that they'll be kind and caring of their, of their peers, of their colleagues, that, that they'll be able to emotionally regulate themselves so that they can hold jobs um, so that they can, you know, adapt to their environment, whatever challenges they may face in their future. So really, we, we want them to, to leave our high school after, you know, our, being in our district with us for years. We want them to be prepared to function as um, healthy citizens in society. And so we are, that's the ultimate goal is that we can um, give them the tools to emotionally regulate to develop positive relationships, and to make good decisions. You can hear more by searching Giving Voice to Depression for episode 99. One note, Dr. Shavina has offered to share what her district has learned with any educators who might benefit from their successful model. Just email us and we'll put you in touch. At the end of this episode, we'll give you our contact info. So because of stigma, We've gotten the message that if we're depressed, we're weak, not coping as well as everybody else is, lacking personal strength or resilience. To put that nonsense to rest, we spoke with NFL Hall of Famer Brian Dawkins, who in his 16 years in the NFL, 13 with the Philadelphia Eagles and three with the Denver Broncos, earned the nickname Weapon X and a reputation as one of the league's hardest hitters. Yet when depression was his opponent, Dawkins nearly lost the fight. Brian joined us for a revealing discussion in episode number 100, an NFL Hall of Famer tackles depression. Absolutely. Certain things you are to be tough about, but not everything. That is not what was taught to us. It was not taught a balance. It was just taught 
pain, that's weakness leaving the body. That's some of the, you know, somebody will say, and it's not pain is pain. And, you know, when you are going through something, especially when you're younger and someone is telling you basically to suppress it, you're getting taught to suppress pain, to try to hold in something that you're not supposed to. And then we don't talk about it. Nobody talks about anything. So now you go through your, you know, teenage years doing the same similar thing and then into adulthood and you pretty much mastered something that should not be mastered, holding in something. Holding it in, holding it in, holding it in. And, and so, you know, one of the things that I've come to understand is that, you know, pressure, 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 pressure builds in silence when we allow it to. Brian's full episode again is number 100. Many of us look to doctors to help us diagnose, understand, and manage our depression. But what about doctors themselves who have the illness? Does their education and environment prepare them to take care of themselves? Or does it add to the stress that can contribute to the problem? Here's Dr. Weinstein. There are some serious problems with medical education, with the practice of medicine, with our healthcare system. <laughs> um, and one evidence of that is when people come to medical school and you look at rates of depression, they're pretty much on par with the general population. Within a couple years of medical school, especially when they get to their clinical years, when they start spending time in hospitals, those rates start to increase. And then when they enter their training, their internship and residency, those rates increase further. So clearly, there's something about that process that is changing folks in a, in a negative fashion. We continue our discussion with Dr. Weinstein in episode number 102, when Dr turned psych patient. We sought him out because we know how hard it can be for someone who's never experienced depression to understand, or maybe even believe, that it can be bad enough we may need to be hospitalized for our own safety. The idea of treatment-resistant depression might sound like proof somebody doesn't really have depression, or they would respond to the medications designed to treat it. And that's why we want to talk to an esteemed doctor about his experience as a psychiatric patient thinking perhaps his story will be more difficult to dismiss. Again, this is an episode we suggest you share with people in your life who have a hard time believing how dangerous depression can be and the fact it can convince even a medical doctor that suicide is the best available option for relief. Michael shares his story in the hopes that others will learn from his frightening experience and believe him when he says recovery is possible no matter how deeply depressed you are. Being in the psychiatric hospital with people, I mean, I was, like, I was amazed. Uh, you have those types of thoughts too. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I realized that if people could realize that they're not alone and that it's okay and if, it, if anything, even it's a strength and it, it's, um, it's a courage to to. to to, to, to openly talk about these issues um, and you don't need to be ashamed to do so. Um, I, I wanted to show people that because I don't, I really, I, my, my main motive, I don't want anyone to ever have to go through that. What I went through, if I can, if I can possibly help you avoid this, I would really like to. Again, you can hear both of the doctor's full episodes. They are numbers 101 and 102. We often cite and post the Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, 
1-800-273-TALK. And in an earlier episode, we spoke with the project director of the network of crisis lines that comprise that service. In episode number 103, Crisis Text Line, we look at a texting service for people in crisis. Hopefully you've heard of it already. Like the Lifeline, it's available for free, 24 hours a day, every day, to give us a resource for referrals, a human connection with a trained crisis counselor, and a private, confidential way to reach out whenever we might need it. 75% of the people who use the text line are under 25 years old, and 90% are under 35. We know that a lot of people who text us communicate with everyone in our life that way. And so mm-hmm. for them, it makes sense to text whenever they're, whenever they need some support or even um, very serious help. Is there a privacy issue that you've identified that someone can quietly text as opposed to be overheard calling? Well, certainly anecdotally, we know that that is true. Um, it is texting is silent. And so you can do it any, from anywhere, right? So you can do it in the bathroom of your you know, middle school or the boardroom. If you are in a meeting and you um, are having you know, a panic attack, you can, you can reach out then and no one would know. That full episode, Crisis Text Line, is number 103. We sincerely hope that some of these episodes resonate with you or make you think of someone who might benefit from the information that our guests have provided. Depression can be very hard to explain and even harder to live with. And everyone who shares on our podcast knows that and wants you to know there is hope, that there are resources available for help, And that most importantly, you are not alone. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to take a couple weeks off to research and interview guests for season 10. If you have an interest or perspective you'd like us to explore, please email us at Bridget, B-R-I-D-G-E-T, or Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at givingvoicetodepression.com. And if these shared stories have helped you in any way, please let us know that too. Your feedback might encourage someone who's reluctant to listen, and they might also find some comfort. We'll only use your first name or initials, whichever you prefer if we quote you. So thank you, Bridget, for another season. I learned a lot. Mm. Thank you, Terry. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.